All right, greetings to all of our campuses. We are so glad you are here. Uh, Before we jump into our message, I have a really cool announcement to make. Uh, As all of you know, we as a church are passionate about making disciples. We want to do all we can to help each one of us grow in our relationship with Jesus. Well, about three months ago, we were introduced to an amazing organization known as Right Now Media. Right Now Media is basically a Netflix a Christian Netflix. They offer over 10,000 videos by the best teachers today on subjects like marriage and parenting, leadership, children's videos. So we as a church decided to partner with Right Now Media. And here's what that means for you. If you attend Christ Community, if you're a part of Christ Community anyway, you have a free subscription to this. You have free access to all of these resources starting now. So you can watch them as a family. You can watch them in your men's group or as a women's group. You can watch them on your own, small groups, whatever. Our goal, again, is to help all of us grow in our relationship with God and our relationships with others. I mean, these resources are the best of the best. People like Andy Stanley, Max Lucado, Francis Chan, Beth Moore, Stacey Eldridge, and on and on and on and on. Then you have free access to this. All these videos, free access, because you're a part of Christ's community. There are more details in your information packet. There's a little insert there. You can check that out. Also, if your email is in our database, you should be receiving an email this week providing a link for you. If you don't receive that email, call the church and we'll get that figured out. But imagine the impact of this. Instead of watching old reruns as you're lying in bed at night, imagine the impact of watching a video teaching about marriage or about parenting or about leadership or, or, or whatever, some other aspect of the, of the scriptures. So we're thrilled to be able to offer this uh, to our church, and we encourage you to utilize it. Please, please, please check it out. Take advantage of this. All right, today we are actually finishing up a five-part teaching series of messages entitled Love Songs. In this series, we have been looking together at the Song of Solomon, which is an amazing book that offers us some powerful insights into our most important relationships. Now, let me reiterate that today's message, today's content, will be dealing with adult themes suited for middle school age and up. So now would be a great time to take your elementary and or preschool age children to our children's ministry. Of all the messages in this series, today's is by far the most sexually explicit. Okay, now that everyone's awake, all right, um, as we have seen in this series, the Song of Solomon offers us some incredible insights into how we can experience healthy, loving relationships, whether whether, whether we're single or or dating or married or married again or single again or divorced, widowed. There are insights here for all of us. So far in this series, we've talked about foundational things like, like healthy attraction and how to grow in emotional intimacy. And last week, we looked at the importance of commitment. If you missed any of these, I encourage you to to get online, to listen online. So so today, we're going to talk about sex, which is obviously something very relevant to our lives and our culture. Both the Song of Solomon and our society celebrate sexuality as an incredibly good thing. However, They approach sexuality in significantly different ways. You see, the Song of Solomon offers us a vision of sex where sex is not the foundation for a relationship and where self is not the focus. 
Instead, sex, in the Song of Solomon, sex is this amazing expression of love within the context of, a, of, a, of, an, of an exclusive, committed love relationship between a husband and a wife. In the Song of Solomon, sex is the frosting on the cake. It's the frosting on the cake. It's dessert. It's a tangible expression of, a committed love, of the committed love of marriage. In contrast, in our society, sex is not viewed that way at all. Again, it's celebrated, both celebrate sex, but it's not viewed that way at all. For many people, both outside and inside the church, sex is increasingly becoming a foundation for relationships. It's not something to wait for. It's not something, I mean, that you wait for. It's something to experience as soon as possible, whenever it feels right. And the problem is, sex was never designed to be used as a foundation for a relationship. And when we try and use it that way, we don't get the result we were hoping for. Just this past week, or actually two weeks ago, I read a fascinating article in the Wall Street Journal, of all places, by a sex expert talking about what sex is going to be like in our culture in the next 10 to 20 years. She talked about how, how technology will make virtual sexual experiences more and more real, sex with Robots, sort of. Uh, no need for a relationship, just the physical pleasure. She talked. She also talked about how there will be an increase in, and I quote here, quick transitory couplings, which is a nice way of saying hooking up with strangers. She, she mentioned how people will continue to try and find ways to increase the pleasure of sex. And then she said this. Listen very carefully. Exact quote here. The bad news is that we will likely see an uptick in sexual addiction and a decrease in emotional connection with partners. People struggle with the depression and loneliness that come from a lack of rich, authentic connections. I mean, do you hear what she is saying? Here is a secular sex expert acknowledging what the Song of Solomon teaches us. That sexual pleasure and sexual, sexual engagement are not designed to be a foundation for our lives or our relationships. I mean, we can have all the sex we want and still be depressed and lonely. Because what we ultimately long for are rich, as she talks about, rich, authentic connections, i.e. real love. And you don't get that from a hookup. You don't get that from a computer screen or a robot. You get it from a real, authentic love relationship. See, ultimately, that's, what, that's what's missing from our society's view of sex. Love. That's what's missing. Love. Real love. And that is a huge omission with very real consequences. So today, we're not, we're not, gonna, we're not, we're not just, just going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about making love. And there's a huge difference. If you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone or whatever, feel free to turn to the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, unless some filter blocks this content. No, just kidding. But it could possibly. Uh, it's that steamy, okay? Song of Solomon is a, is a collection of love poems between a man and a woman. We've been looking at various sections of this. Chapter 1, they're dating. There's the, the art of attraction. We talked about that at the start of the series. And, 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 and then they're growing in emotional intimacy. Chapter 2. Well, at the end of chapter 3, this couple gets married. And now they're on their honeymoon. Chapter 4, they're on their honeymoon. 
They are, they are eager and ready to experience sexual union with each other as an expression of their love for each other. And we can learn a lot from this passage. Now, now let me just acknowledge that in this room, there are a lot of people who are not married. And I want you to know that God wants to speak to you in this passage today. It, it may be some information that will be helpful in your future marriage relationship. It may be some insights you can use to help a friend or a family member who's struggling in this area. It may be that God wants to speak to you about how, about, about how your perspective on sexuality is less than what he desires for you. And more than anything, I believe God wants to speak to all of us about his amazing love. You see, our sexuality is ultimately a picture of his love for us. So there is something here for everyone in this message. Okay, so here in chapter 4, the honeymoon poetry spares few details. It is very steamy, okay? Why is that? What made this union so hot? Uh, you know, what are the principles here that we can apply to our own marriages to fuel a sexual relationship like this? It's described here. Well, there are three things that I want to highlight. First is vulnerability. Vulnerability. This is at the core. This is at the core of making love. Vulnerability. This is how God designed sexuality. In Genesis chapter 2, we read about the first ever sexual experience between a husband and a wife. Adam and Eve were one flesh, and the description is so incredibly powerful. This is before sin entered the picture and messed everything up, okay? The description is so powerful. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Total vulnerability. That's how God designed sex to be. No walls, no hiding, no shame. Now, we talked in week one about how when sin entered the picture, the purity and the innocence of that experience became defiled with self-centeredness, with self-focus, so that Adam and Eve looked for clothes. They immediately looked for clothes to hide their bodies from each other. But God's desire for sexuality is still found in Genesis 2. It is this, this experience of complete nakedness, complete emotional and physical vulnerability with this other person. And we see this so beautifully in this passage here. The man begins speaking to his bride. Verse 1, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil, her wedding veil, your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. He starts at the top. 
he looks at her eyes behind her wedding veil and he says to her, he says they are like doves. He then talks about her hair being like a flock of goats. Wow, how romantic. Um, <clears throat> well, let me explain. Remember, he was a shepherd. This is his world. That, 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 the whole thing was his world. And, and let me explain. Her hair, like typical Jewish women, would have been up. That's how they kept it. It would have been up. But now she's letting it down. She's letting her hair down, and it's flowing over her shoulders. So to him, a shepherd, it reminds him of how goats descend a mountain together in lines. He then praises her for her teeth, how white they are, and how she has all of them, which was probably saying something back then. He tells her that her lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Her mouth is lovely. He, he says that her cheeks are rosy. She may be blushing here. Her cheeks are rosy like a pomegranate. He, he comments on her neck, how the way she holds her neck is a sign of elegance and, and confidence, like the Tower of David. He comments on her breasts being like two fawns. She is letting him see more and more of her. She's becoming increasingly vulnerable, sharing what is most precious to her with her husband. It's, again, this beautiful picture of God's design for our sexuality. It is letting this person see us in a way that we allow no one else to see us. It's powerful, absolute vulnerability. I mean, why, why do we wear clothes? I mean, we all have parts of our body that we may feel ashamed of or insecure about. We don't want the world to see those things. But here, in, 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 in the context of a committed love relationship, it is safe to do so. Because this person is doing this with us as well, right? It's safe that the power of mutual vulnerability is off the charts. Off the charts. It's powerful. And this is why this love thing is so important. Can you imagine the pain of letting someone see all of you and have all of you only to find out the next day he's dating someone else? What's being described here is so precious, so beautiful, so life-giving and safe that it belongs in the context of an exclusive, committed love relationship known as marriage. Your body is too precious, too special to be given away easily in the back of some car or a stranger's bedroom. Seriously. It's too precious to be given away like that. Genuine, committed love is what makes true vulnerability possible. In fact, look with me at verse 6 and following. The guy is still speaking here. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. This is so cool. You may read that. What's he talking about? This is so powerful. He's saying, initially he's saying, I want you all night long. You are my sole focus, not you and the game. You, and my, you, know, you are my sole focus. You are my darling. I am here with you. I'm yours completely. But notice something else he does here. He invites her. 
come with me, my bride. He is not forcing her. He is not demanding a particular response from her. He is affirming her and loving her and is gentle with her. And then he invites her response. See what he's doing? He's creating this place of protection for her. That being with him is a safe place. That he is absolutely committed to her. And I love the imagery he uses. It's easy to miss this. I missed it before until I actually studied this. He, he, he says to her, descend from the summit of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was often a very scary-looking mountain. It was a very intimidating-looking mountain. Dark clouds would often kind of be up, up at the top of the summit. So he, and, and he refers here to lions and leopards. There's danger up there. But notice his invitation. Descend from all that danger. Come to be, come, come to me, come be with me where it's safe. He is expressing to her his absolute love, his delight in her, his commitment to her. Guys, it, it breaks my heart that so many women in our society have experienced abuse at the hands of dads or boyfriends or relatives or even husbands. It is awful. But here's what's so cool. We husbands have the opportunity to help heal these wounds by creating a safe place, a loving place in our bedroom, in our marriage, a place where we are expressing affirmation. And, and this isn't just needed for women who need abuse. Who, um, excuse me, this isn't just women needed for women who experience abuse. A, a woman friend of mine mentioned that as often as men think about sex during the day, women think just as often about their own insecurities. Our affirmation is so important. It's so important. Guys, guys, we should never, ever, ever make a negative comment about our wife's body. Ever. And vice versa. Women should never do this about their husband. Ever, ever. I mean, sex is the ultimate expression of vulnerability. This person is not hiding anything from us. I mean, what a, what a treasure that our spouse would trust us with that. We need to make sure we are generous with praise. Just like the guy here in chapter 4. I mean, he is generous with praise, with kindness, with affirmation. I mean, I mean let's be honest. Our bodies will probably never look as good as they do on our wedding day. It's kind of downhill from there for both of us, right? And, and that's okay. Marriage is this beautiful relationship where we can over and over again express to this person how beautiful they are. It's an amazing relationship. We get to over and over and over again express to them how beautiful they are to us. Vulnerability is such a precious treasure, and it can be damaged so easily. We talked a few weeks ago about the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, negative comments about our spouse's body, hurtful words, bitterness, criticism, contempt, pornography. These things will quickly undermine this foundation of vulnerability. If, if a wife doesn't feel safe with her husband emotionally, if she doesn't feel safe, she feels criticized and whatever. She doesn't feel safe emotionally. It's going to be very hard for her to want to give herself to him sexually. Vulnerability is vital to lovemaking. 
And it's something we have to diligently guard, creating a safe place. Okay, a second critical aspect of lovemaking is connectedness. Connectedness. There is so much more than simply physical intercourse happening in this passage. In fact, there is very little, you can look for yourself later, there's very little describing the actual act of intercourse here. No, what we see is this amazing connectedness between this couple. I mean, the the man is expressing tender affirmation and love and desire, and the woman is responding to that. In fact, there's this very interesting shift that occurs from verse 12 to verse 15. Look with me at verse 12. The man is speaking, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. He is describing how she has not yet fully opened up to him sexually. She is a sealed fountain. But that's about to change. He continues affirming her. And then we read in verse 15, you are a garden fountain a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. See, a few moments ago, right? Verse 12, she was a garden locked up. She was a sealed fountain, but now she is a garden fountain. She is a well of flowing water. And now she speaks, verse 16, awake north wind and come south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Wow, it's getting kind of hot in here, right? Um, This is some powerful stuff here. But there's there's such a powerful connection happening here. Notice how in the first part of that verse, she says, blow on my garden, blow on my garden. But at the end of the same verse, she says, let my beloved come into his garden. There is this mutual yielding of their bodies to the other. Again, we see this amazing connectedness happening. And this connectedness didn't happen. It did not happen immediately, and it didn't happen automatically, as if they just jumped in the sack and went after it. No. Maybe in the movies that happens, but it's not real life. There is this interplay. There is this developing emotional and physical connectedness that's happening here. And all of this, all of this connectedness eventually culminates in sexual intercourse. But it it is not just an orgasm that happens. It is a profound soul-level connectedness, which is, again, how God designed sex to be. Sex is way more than two people experiencing climax. It is designed to be a beautiful expression of connectedness. There is a huge difference between sex and connected sex. Huge difference. Now, a critical part of this connectedness issue is an understanding how men and women are wired differently sexually. I mean, you've heard it said various ways, but women, you know, women are crockpots, men are microwaves. You know, that, that whole idea. I mean, when, when is a guy, when, when are most guys ready for sex? Anytime, anywhere. And we see you know, these Super Bowl commercials, you know, with the guy watching the game and his, his wife walks by in lingerie and he doesn't respond. Yeah, right. You know, I, I don't know what planet they're living on. But women, that's the way guys are. But women are not like that. <clears throat> women are slow cookers. Year, years ago, I read this book about men and sexuality. And it said something that I think is so powerful for us men to hear. This was the principle they stated. Sex 
is not about scoring, it's about connecting. Sex is not about scoring, it's about connecting. Us guys, we need to understand this, we need to hear this, because us guys tend to be wired for achievement, you know, for competition. And and we often bring that tendency into our marriage and into our sex life where it's about scoring. But, but, But women in general are not wired that way. They are not wired for scoring. They are wired for connecting. So for them, sex is a response to feeling connected to us. It's a response to feeling connected to us. In this passage here, in in chapter 4, we don't see this man stopping in the middle of all this and saying, hey, babe, I'm going to watch the chariot races, but I'll be back around 10 so we can get it on. He doesn't do that here. You know, good luck with that, by the way. Um, When women are asked what turns them on sexually, when women are asked what turns them on sexually, their answers often surprise most men because it's not flowers and it's not chocolates. A recent article I read Um, describes uh, a number of women responded, but one woman said that what turns her on most is her husband doing the dishes. That's hot, she said. I heard an amen out there, all right. For for another woman, it's non-sexual touching. When he gives her a hug or he rubs her back as they watch TV without expecting something in return. Another woman said it's when he really listens to her over a cup of coffee. For another, it was when he vacuums her car and fills it up with gas just without her asking. Guys, see, we need, guys, men here, we need to realize that sex begins long before the bedroom. In in a very real sense, you are making love to your wife all day long. Every word, every action, for good or for bad, is really foreplay. So how are you doing in that? Guys, how are we doing in that? Most of us guys aren't wired this way. We aren't. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing we're not wired this way because it it teaches us what love looks like, right? It's a good thing men and women are different. If women were wired like us, we'd be like two animals in heat all the time. But, But because women are different than us in this way, it reminds us that sex is not about scoring. It's about connecting. Man, it took me so long, it took me so long to figure this out. I I cleared this sermon with Raylene, just so you know, so I'm not sharing anything without permission. I made sure I had permission. Um, I don't always do that, but on this sermon, I was like, I need to make sure on this one. So, but for years in our marriage, as we'd set aside time to be alone and intimate, we'd get in bed and I'd be holding her, you know, ready to roll. Um, And inevitably, inevitably, she'd start talking about the kids or how she was feeling about something at work. Or talking about something going on in a friend's life. And it would make me so frustrated. I, 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 you know, I didn't want to ruin the moment, so I'd try to be, just listen. But I was thinking to myself, come on, Raylene, focus. We can talk about this stuff later. But finally, literally, after, after like 20 years of marriage, finally, I realized this is her way of feeling connected to me. This is her way of feeling connected to, connected to me, me holding her and listening to her. That's how she feels connected. So I'm learning, I'm learning to listen and to engage and to be patient because the ultimate goal is not scoring, it's connecting. 
And let me tell you, connected sex is way better than scoring sex anytime. Way better. A third essential aspect of making love that we see here in this passage is sensuality. Sensuality. Here's a question I'm guessing most of us haven't ever thought about. Even the super spiritual types here, right? I'm guessing most of us here, most people here, we haven't thought about this. Here's the, here's, here's the question to think about. Um, what does sex tell us about what God's like? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, he invented it. God invented sex. So if God invented sex, why did he create it like he did? He, he could have made sex very utilitarian, right? Simply for the purpose of having children, but he didn't make it only for procreation. He made it incredibly enjoyable and fun, which tells us that our God is a playful, creative, and sensuous God. He feels deeply. He experiences pleasure. And he created us to sense these things as well. All five of our senses are gifts from him reflecting his character. So with that in mind, with that in mind, I want us to think for a moment about sen the sensuality of making love. In this passage in Song of Solomon chapter 4, all five senses are engaged. They see each other. They hear each other's words of affirmation and love and, and desire. Verse 11, the man says, your lips Drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. How does he know what it tastes like under her tongue? They're French kissing, right? Centuries before France was ever France. It was in the Bible here. So taste is involved. Verse 11, the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. His sense of smell is engaged. Earlier in verse 10, he talks about the fragrance of her perfume. And, and of course, they're touching each other's bodies. Every sense is engaged. Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. It is a full-bodied, sensual experience, which is exactly how God designed it to be. So this raises a very important question. In our sexual relationship with our spouse, are we seeking to arouse our spouse through seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, tasting? Are we being intentional about that? Are we, are we attentive to what our spouse enjoys? You see, remember, sex is about love, right? It's about love, giving love. Giving love, which means it's not about focusing on, how, you know, on, on what our needs, right? It's about focusing on how we can arouse our spouse through these senses. What do they enjoy? Ask them. Talk about it. I know it's so hard to talk about this, but we need to talk about these things. I mean, maybe a wife prefers it dark in the room, but she realizes her husband likes to see, right? He visually likes to see, so she lights a candle to make sure his sense of sight is utilized. Or maybe a husband knows his wife is aroused by pleasing fragrances, so he takes a shower, right? Um, uh, or, 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 he, or, or he buys some fragrant body oil or something. I mean, I, I challenge all the married couples here to bring true sensuality into your bedroom. Bring true sensuality into your bedroom. 
it will increase the level of enjoyment for both of you. Which is, again, how God designed it. Before you know it, you may find yourself actually quoting to your spouse some of these verses from chapter 4. Really, stay away from the goats, but, but the others might work, okay? Now, I love how this passage ends in chapter 5, verse 1. An interesting little note. It's not trivia. It's an interesting note. Chapter 5, verse 1 is actually, it is the actual midpoint of this book. The book is poetry, Chapter 5, verse 1 is the midpoint, and that is no coincidence that this is the climax in more ways than one. The man says in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my, will, my, my, and my milk. See, he, this is past tense now, right? He has enjoyed this with his wife. And he tells her that they're perhaps laying there, lying there together in each other's arms after making love. Now, at this point, at this point in the text, some, something interesting happens here. Someone else speaks. It's not the man, it's not the woman. Someone else speaks, and scholars aren't sure exactly who is speaking. It's not clear in the text, but I have a hunch. I think this is the only place in the entire book where God speaks. So what does he say to them? Chapter 5, verse 1. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. See, I believe God is saying to married couples, enjoy this gift. Enjoy this expression of love. Don't withhold it. Don't neglect it. Don't ignore it. Enjoy it. Let it be the amazing expression of love and experience of pleasure that I intend it to be in your marriage. And more than that, I believe God is saying, more than that, let it be a signpost that points you towards what your soul ultimately longs for a love relationship with me. See, our, this is so important. Our society is desperately trying to make sex the ultimate goal. But it's not. It's not. It was never designed to be that. And when we try to make it that, it fails to deliver every time. What we all need to understand, married, single, single again, what we all need to understand is that our sexual desires point us to something beyond a marriage relationship. Our sexual desires point us toward heaven. When one day, as described in Revelation 21, you can look it up later for yourself, we, the church, referred to as the bride of Christ in that passage, the bride will be united with her groom. That's the imagery God uses. I'm not making this up. That's the imagery he uses. He uses sexual imagery to describe the union that we will experience with him one day in heaven. I mean, talk about a vulnerable, connected, sensory experience. We will see him face to face, and we will experience a love beyond what we ever dreamed possible. You see, sex can't give you that. Sex cannot give you that. But Jesus promises that for any and all who place their trust in him, who, who long for his appearing, Jesus promises that kind of love. So our sexual desires just point to that ultimate experience of love.
that we will have one day when we see Jesus face to face. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for your word. How practical it is. How real it is. God, I thank you that you take whatever was spoken here. I need you to take whatever was spoken and apply it, Lord. I, um, I know this topic is so sensitive and hits all potentially hits all sorts of uncomfortable places. I know that. And so in complete humility, I just offer you this message and pray, Lord, you would enable each one of us here to take what you have for us and to apply it to our lives. Lord, I want to pray, first of all, for the married couples in this room, I pray a blessing on their sexual experience. Blessing. If there are hurts, if there are things they haven't talked about, I pray, Lord, there would be communication, there would be connectedness in deepening ways, emotionally, connectedness. But I pray for us husbands here, we would grow in our ability to create a safe place in our marriage, a place of affirmation and gentleness. And so I pray for that blessing upon every married couple here, their, their, their experience of sexuality in marriage. I pray for that. And so, Father, we just commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to you in this area and pray for communication to happen and all the things that need to happen, Lord, and just your blessing poured out there. God, I want to pray for those who are single here, those who are maybe divorced, maybe have not been married. Or, um, Lord, you, you know each heart, and I pray you would pour out your spirit. And I, I, I pray, Lord, just in the midst of the sexual desires and the yearnings that those things would be surrendered to you. And for all of us, they would remind us, they would point us toward a relationship with you. We know that sex doesn't ultimately satisfy. It's you alone that satisfies. And so I pray that in any context here, in any unmet longings, that we would bring those to you and they would point us to you, to our ultimate longing for you, Jesus. To know you and to see you face to face one day. And I also, I also want to pray here and I want to just give an invitation. You can just keep your head bowed, but there may be some of you here and I believe the reason that you are here today is because what you need is a relationship with God through Christ the Bible makes it very clear that we are not guaranteed a relationship with God just because we go to church or a nice person. We're sinners. We're separated from a holy God. But he loved us so much. He wanted a relationship with us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. He took the penalty we should have paid. And so the way into this love relationship is not by trying hard, it's not by going to church, it's not by doing things, it's by receiving this gift that Jesus purchased for you. And there may be some of you here 
And in your heart, you know, I need that. I want to receive that gift of forgiveness and life and love. So if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. You can pray along with me in the silence of your heart. If this is the desire of your heart, pray with me. Dear God, I admit that you are holy and I'm not. I'm a sinner. I am separated from you. And there's nothing I can do, no matter how hard I try, nothing I can do to get to you. But you love me so much. You came to me. You sent your son Jesus to come to earth and to die on a cross for me to pay the penalty for my sin. And I'm so grateful. And I am choosing right now to place my trust in you, Jesus. I bring to you my failures and my sins, my doubts, my questions about you. I bring all of that to you. And I lay it all at your feet. And I now receive you, Jesus. Forgive my sin, past, present, and even the sins I haven't committed yet. Forgive them all and come live in me through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, thank you. I pray they would grow in this love relationship with you. I pray for all of us to grow in our love relationship with you. We bring to you ourselves as an act of worship. We offer to you ourselves as an act of worship. Our bodies, our emotions, our senses, every part of us, we offer to you. Set us free to do that right now. Worship team is going to lead us now in a time of response where we offer ourselves to the Lord. So why don't we stand? If at some point you want to sit down, that's totally fine. But we encourage you to stand. There are intercessors around the room wearing red lanyards. If at any point you'd like to receive prayer about anything, surgery coming up or relationship, whatever, you can slip out of your seat and just go to these folks. They would love to pray with you. So Jesus, set us free to worship you. We love you, God. We need you. Thank you.